0: Baby Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 70 of the Insured Tech Geek Podcast, talking about the platform economy with Hetty Martisu from Cache. The Insure Tech Geek Podcast powered by J.B. Knowledge is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Man, oh, man, it's Friday, November the 12th 2021 not 2020 rob galbraith we're we're at the end of 21 it's about to be 2022 again continuing the uh, year and a half long time warp that has been this 18 months we are progressing through fall college football is coming to <laughs> it so terrible i'm gonna have to resort to watching other sports which is always a tough move for me rob but uh, it's neither here nor there. How are you doing over there in San Antonio, Rob Galbraith?
1: Yeah, doing well, James. You know, what's nice here about Texas is it's a little bit cooler, a little bit more comfortable being outside. So it's it's almost like our summer up north in some ways. So it's a beautiful time. We don't get <laughs> exactly. the leave. we don't get the fall colors, but all, all for the temps, yeah.
0: People are like, "Oh, it's so nice! It's in the seventies and sunny." I'm like, "This is all summer in Michigan. <laughs> I'm like this is what it is. This is What it feels like. It's so nice up there." Oh my goodness! And joining us from the country of Estonia, Hedy, how are you doing, Hedy?
2: Well, very good. Nice to meet you both. And yeah, it's cold and uh, and dark outside.
0: Yeah, now it is your neck of the woods, isn't it? It's uh, it gets cold and dark for what five, six months.
2: Oh yeah, it's just getting yeah. started to the coldest and darkest month. Oh, oh.
0: <laughs> Well, at least it makes you appreciate sunny summers, right?
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Maybe some beach trips down to Israel or Greece or or, or Italy are, are in store for you in the near future.
2: Well, actually, I just came came from Brussels. Oh, sorry, I just came from Portugal. Uh, there was a web summit, so it was it wasn't too bad. So.
0: Yeah, mm. I've not been to Portugal. It's on my list. I would like to go there. I hear it's very nice. I've been drinking their wine for decades now, so.
2: <laughs> well, recommending highly. Yeah,
0: should be a really good visit. Well, we're glad to have you on the show. I know it's very late for you there, but we appreciate you joining us. Um, before we get started talking, don't forget you can subscribe to the Insure tech Geek podcast by texting Geek Out to six six eight six six. Make sure you never miss an episode. Text Geek Out to six six eight six six. Back to Hedy Martisou from cachet That's C A C H E T, and the website for those of you who like to look at the website while we're talking is cache dot me that's c a c h e t dot m e. of course, they have an english version of our, of their website for all of our uh, English speakers on the uh, Insuretech geek podcast. let's let's we're going to talk about cachet in a 2nd Your co-founder and CEO at cachet. But before we do that, we're going to talk about you. You got a bachelor's in information and communication management from Northumbria about 20 years ago, right around the same time I got my, my, my degree as well. So you, you and I graduated within a year of each other. Uh, then you got a master's in information science from uh, Tallinn University. What did you originally want to do career-wise? Uh, like, you know, Why did you go into information and communication management, information science? Like, What was the original goal, and, and uh, what did it end up being?
2: Very good question. So actually, there's a very good story connected with it. So Estonia is known for its um, kind of digitization. We are one of the most digitized nation in in the world. And um, I had a luxury of growing up inside, literally, every IT, everything. So my mom used to arrange all the large events like seminars, conferences, uh, exhibitions, and and obviously I had to help out there a lot. Um, so when I was thirteen to life. Fifteen, I went to the conference every year and I remember I, I was just listening to different presentations and I saw that you know there were the Moore's law and everything's just going exponential with data and I was thinking okay that's probably a safe bet to go and study something connected how to sort it out how to really understand organize etc so that's basically was the decision why, why I went to study information science and communication
0: yeah, and and what about technology has really geeked you out for the last twenty years? Like, what what do you did you did you really enjoy hardware, software, web development, mobile? Like, what really piqued your interest?
2: Uh, depends when, <laughs> but uh, but I, I worked uh, nine years in a bank and before that in a business software, so I've been always very much on the edge of what's what's happening. I would say twenty years ago, probably mobile technology. I, I traveled traveled around uh, with very much with Nokia and everything what they were doing, and uh, worked very closely with them. And and when I went to bank and and, and worked there, uh, then really the kind of big data and, and the kind of what's happening uh, really in the kind of world uh, uh, cloud space. And and obviously I worked very closely with cyber. and and everything, and and help to communicate issues there. In 2007, there was the first ever cyber war in Estonia. I was literally in a very... Central uh, heart of it, uh, with, with with since the bank got also taxed. so I, I was very interesting in uh, interesting in what's happening in cyberspace and the security and all that part.
0: That's awesome, and, and uh, I'm I'm fascinated about the Estonian connection. If, if for those of you who don't know much about Estonia, I, I'm not the resident expert. All I can say is that it's right next to Finland and Russia, so it's pretty far north, uh, latitude wise, and it is a very very well developed country. It's been inhabited for at least Eleven thousand years, first people. I, I just did a little little brush up. I, I love history and uh, Estonia. First signs of civilization were nine thousand BC. So there's been people there for a long time. Fascinating uh, country in general. You know, most folks that I've talked to from your your area of the world speak a bunch of different languages. What languages did you grow up speaking? What do you speak now?
2: I speak Estonian, uh, English, uh, Finnish. A little bit uh, Swedish and, and Russian. So uh, Finnish. Uh, I well, Finnish is Pretty much the same as Estonian language. So I I literally learned it on watching cartoons uh, when I was uh, when I was a kid. So yeah, but um, but the other languages just came from work. I, I used to work uh, long years in uh, different Swedish companies. So yeah, that, that was a handful, and that was a good good language to 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 know. And obviously, Russia is, is next to us, so we learn at that school as
0: well. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, and it is a very wired and connected country. It's interesting how what you grow up in really ends up influencing your life so much. I, I went to a, an engineering high school. It was a public high school, but it was very technologically oriented. And dozens of tech companies have spawned off from my high school uh, because of how... You know, you take a bunch of 14 to 17 year old kids and you give them ultra high speed internet in the 90s. We had really fast connections and, you know, your imagination runs wild. You end up developing a lot of skills. And and I think that's uh, also the case of, uh, of where you, you know, the kind of the area that you grew up in and, and how that's influenced things. Let's, let's go to Cache and just talk about it. What is Cache? What does it do? You know, what does it specialize in? Just walk us through the business.
2: So we started uh, Caché now a few years ago uh, with the goal to to really help uh, platform economy with different financial services because there is a there is and and we even like to say we enable the platform economy lifestyle via financial services and 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 what does that really mean that um, platform economy is growing extremely fast uh, there is uh, you know in US you have uh, 50-something, almost percent of people doing independent work or, or or platform work. It's yeah. There's tons of different terms how you can define it. But um, I like to use platform economy because that kind of brings both uh, the kind of key workers and, and also the kind of sharing economy participants into the same phrase. So we started uh, to create um, uh, and solve a problem in insurance uh, for ride-hailers. So basically Uber, Lyft drivers. Uh, in Europe, there is obviously a list, list more uh, and the problem for them was that my, majority of the kind of insurance they could idle either, either by uh, regular, or then actually when they started to provide service taxi, and this ended up being five five to ten times more expensive for them. So obviously then plat- you can't talk about platform economy because if you want to work a couple of hours a week just as a kind of side job or something, then paying just for paying for their taxi insurance, you you literally need to work minimum ten hours and and then start to earn something additional. So we came up with a solution literally to kind of uh, bring uh, the data from various different platforms around the individual and, and the vehicle and, and, and make it uh, flexible by that. So we, we are the ones that know in, in our markets how many hours actually one person, with one car is providing service. It doesn't matter if it's uh, doing it on Uber or in, in Estonian in case, Bolt, Jannes uh, Taxi. Or, or others and and uh, yeah, we managed to really make them very happy because we brought the prices down on average fifty percent in the market. that really gave us a very good lift, and now we literally have been ensuring almost ninety percent of everybody that does ride hailing in, in, in Estonia, for example, with their own vehicle.
0: So Estonia is a really wonderful test bed. It's uh, the whole country is smaller than most U.S. cities, right? And so you've got what, one, 1. 1.3 million people in the whole country, which allows you to experiment at a scale that allows you to really control the variables. Why have you been successful reducing price that much, right? It's a huge in decrease in premium. How have you been able to decrease premium and still keep your loss ratios in line and be a pro, you know, and, and, and make money? Like what, what? What have you done differently that no one else could figure out?
2: So I think that the kind of um, uh, one major uh, thing that uh, we we did right from the day one was that we understood that uh, uh, there is no whatsoever loyalty in the platform economy. So there is no such a thing as Uber driver, or there's no such thing as Lyft driver. There is a driver that normally provides services uh, on on Uber and in Estonian Bolt and and, and others at the same time. They are businessmen. They maximize their income of the time they wanna wanna work. So we put that hypothesis to the right place right away, which meant that um, we had the full picture of how they really work, and via that, um, a different insights into their risks, and and uh, that kind of trustworthy data converted really nicely on 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 kind of um, on on the promise of there's gonna be or the hypothesis that there's gonna be lower risk coming year after, and this we managed to prove so uh and and obviously we are since we are not the carrier ourselves, so we we have underwriters that we work with, and, and the kind of co designed uh, solution uh taking some of the historic knowledge that they had with with the knowledge that we brought on and the data that we brought on, we managed to do a really successful product so now we are scaling to new markets and uh yeah let's let's keep fingers crossed that we can do all the same same effect there with a slightly larger target group than Estonia.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Uh,
1: Rob. Hey, you know we've had a chance to to talk a little bit prior to this podcast, and it's been great to see your growth and development at Cache. I'd love you to just drill in a little bit more on this idea of you're really creating a full picture of that freelancer, uh, right? And so, exactly as you referenced, you know these folks are. On multiple platforms so you can't just look at you know only their activity driving for uber only their activity driving for lyft right but you want to look across all the platforms and you've managed to create the connections right to acquire all this data uh, to process all this data and to make sense of it and to create that holistic view of that freelancer. So maybe just talk a little bit about how did you go about it? How challenging has it been to kind of create that full picture? Do you use things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, and others to create some of these models that, you know, you mentioned as you work with your underwriting partners. Just give us a little bit of a the behind the scenes look of how you make this possible.
2: So I think the kind of, kind of step one is to really understand the problem too deeply and we are super lucky to have also the platforms really coming along because they, they knew understood as well, they knew that their drivers are providing service in many places and they... Understood right away that yeah we 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 get that problem and I I will actually explain a bit uh, and bring some a bit of a deeper maybe insight so why why we are why we probably are we have a stronger edge also in in really understanding deeply the the kind of platform economy because of of also the co-founder Kashir has but but the, basically the the platforms really were keen and, and happy to partner up with us. So that went very well. So they started to share data with us. That was a very, very big, I would say, success. And from there on, um, obviously, yes, the, the models that we build is is literally, uh, the, the other bigger part of it is uh, is really GDPR. The the trust that we have, and we have, we are building with uh, the with drivers. So we don't collect anything secretly or that they can't see. But the whole concept has been built on the knowledge and the, the kind of uh, trust between us that, they they see everything that we collect about them and and there is a very very kind of important reason uh, behind it because if you as a person see and understand your kind of different uh, behavior patterns uh, uh, work patterns etc you you start to make your own uh, conclusions of it or and and start to understand the, some of the kind of patterns it it come they come with 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 what will come with it. And I think that was a very important thing that we incorporated into that kind of product thinking. So the person constantly sees everything that they do and they understand what we share also then and what we use in the models that, that we have done. And, and I would say this is probably as important part of the whole, whole product uh, as any other because the goal eventually is that when they start to see negative some negatives, uh, price increase, they also understand that they 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 probably need to tweak some of their activities. Like, you know, it's not safe to overdrive or drive 20 hours in a row, which obviously we, we tell them and, and, and some of them do that. But it's impossible for let's say Uber to know who drives 20 hours because they only know their part. So yeah, that's, that's kind of this kind of triangle that we've built where we really have in a one way empowered the person or the driver in that case. And and other way also kind of make them more accountable and and make it visible for them to to understand how they work, how they provide uh, service and and what's the kind of uh, loop in, in the price from there.
0: Sounds like there's an opportunity with all the data you collect and the fact that you share and show them the data, that you have a transparent relationship with them about the data. You can actually help them with more than just their insurance. I mean, if there's no brand loyalty at all. To the platforms that they're on and it's all about the independent contractor and you're going to be their primary vendor right other than whoever they buy gas from or whoever repairs their car their insurance carrier is going to be their main vendor sounds like you could actually step into a value-added kind of a, a preferred advisor role helping coach them better on how to how to run their business and mitigate risk i mean is that is that is that part of the long play is it is it really developing a partnership with all these independent contractors
2: yeah, and we we see ourselves as a kind of ecosystem of services uh, that we're p- pulling together because and, and the kind of key that key connector around that is exactly the kind of uh, the data data model or the really the work uh, behavior model that we pull together and and it, it actually goes beyond i, I I'm, I'm an ex-banker from my kind of uh, past uh, and i i still often ask from my colleagues are you giving loans now to uber drivers and the answer is still no from the kind of more bigger banks and and and, and the reason is very simple banks just don't trust the, that the uber drivers will actually earn the similar income the next next month but we have two years data to prove that um that i think the kind of Last time during spring we took it out, we saw that around 80% of the drivers that we have on our kind of portfolio... Uh, approximately sixty percent of the time, try with exactly the same pattern or same same logic. So if you give that data to your bank, they say, "Oh, that's actually something that they can already trust that this person will actually do the same in the in the next coming month." Because obviously there is a massive churn, and 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 I think this kind of thing is has been missing today from the platform economy, and Cachet has strongly filled that hole, and and now scaling the, the solution throughout Europe, and hopefully soon also, we might come across the ocean.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, Rob. So hetty, one of the things that really strikes me in this conversation is that you have a very customer centric approach, and I think about traditional insurance as being very product centric so you have auto insurance, home or renter's insurance, you might have you know small business insurance you might have cyber coverage, et cetera. Maybe you have an agent or broker that's helping you out that's that's packaging all that together, but typically you're dealing with a lot of different uh, entities, and quite frankly that 's just kind of our system right You have to file certain contract forms with state regulators get approved and I just think of insurance as general at the end of the day. They can ask you a lot about uh your your business and try to understand it, but you know there's going to be a set of underwriting questions and it 's basically kind of which products that already exist can I put you into and so you really go beyond that right you're giving them the coverage, but then you 're also giving them feedback you 're showing them their behavior and you 're giving them an opportunity. Uh, with loss prevention, uh, you know, tips and information, like they can really shape their behavior. They can influence their their rate that way. So, you know, I know a lot of traditional insurance companies kind of talk about that, maybe have worked around on the fringes, but it just strikes me as a full paradigm shift to go with a customer-centric approach uh, that you're taking at Caché. So maybe you can kind of, I guess, compare and contrast a little bit. What does it take to have a customer-centric model rather than a, a product-centric one?
2: Let me start by actually and. Um, I like to use the word person-centric model, and and why why is that? Is that uh, we are building it for the person, literally. So it's their data, their kind of data room in that sense that that we ask and and kind of um, work together in order to get uh, get the better better services and better financial services. So in that sense, the kind of customer-centric is even maybe something I would sometimes challenge because uh, customer-centric is often still defined by the big corporations saying that this you know this is the way they want to sell to the customer but obviously there is a there's a it could be something to discuss longer but 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 why we have selected strongly the kind of um, model is um, we are strong believers that the world is moving more and more kind of decentralized and and the person and it's kind of uh, digital footprint the, everybody's coming much more aware of of what they leave behind and what are the kind of Pluses and minuses uh, security wise etc and and I think the, it's, it's slowly shaping into more becoming much more organized and and we are developing our solution already to that world literally where where, where kind of this kind of normal thing is data portability and and, and and people can say, okay use my use my discord or I want to use that to get better services. Uh, so, that, so that's kind of more on the vision towards what we're building, but but why... I'm, I'm myself very passionate about uh, the data that I leave behind. So I'm monitoring myself since uh, the first Kickstarter campaign of Oura Ring, and, and I've learned so much about myself. So I, I always kind of feel that this is the either you see yourself and the world in two dimensional kind of view or three dimensional. And this kind of IoT data and the world data patterns really give you the kind of uh, the dimension you often don't notice. And, and that's why um, the team is very passionate about really looking different different things that you can improve and, and actually visualise and illustrate to the customer. And and by that you can change behaviours or improve them. I always bring myself as an example when I'm talking about car accidents. I think most of my car accidents I have happened in November, dark nights, exactly like we have right now. Bit rainy. And then the lights or something, and then I crash. So today I'm actually not gonna take a car. I I have learned from it, but someone should have told me already years ago. Okay, just maybe use use Uber by, during those evenings. But jokes aside, so so we all we all have those kinds of things who otherwise wouldn't wouldn't uh, notice and, and see. And and if if we can help to correct those habits and or kind of just make it visible for the person that they will do that themselves, then everybody would win. And I think this part has been always missing from insurance. And and um, And uh, we, from our little corner, have started to do the first steps of what we can to us us there. And uh, and platform economy is definitely someone who would benefit the most of this approach.
1: Sounds like GDPR is actually a competitive advantage for you. And being able to start this company in Europe, having that kind of transparency where we don't necessarily have that in the U.S. and certainly not in a lot of Asian markets. And to your point, many insurance companies use a ton of data, uh, but it's not always transparent. In fact, rarely is it transparent to the end insured how that data is being used, where it comes from, and how it impacts their rates.
2: GDPR definitely inspired us uh, to to kind of do that because what what uh, I'm never advocating that someone should uh, you know just delete my data or something, but what I'm what I've been always pissed off that you know. I know that the banks everybody's collecting tons of data about me, and they they have they know about some things that I don't know about myself. The only thing that I as a person want, and I'm like show it that to me as well, so I can learn about myself, really just teach me, make me smarter of the data that that you collect and analyze, but obviously this is slowly moving to that direction and and yeah, so I think we would all be much smarter to understand what Facebook is thinking about us or or maybe not. <laughs>
0: It's interesting. You know, uh, certainly Europe and the United States, and uh, I'd say North America and Europe are moving closer and closer to individual liberties with your data, right? Like actual owning your data, having the rights to your data, knowing what data people are collecting on you. And there's a huge part of Asia that's actually moving the exact opposite direction right now. There was big news out of China this week that they enshrined their their leader, Xi Xiaoping, as a, as a kind of an institutionalized leader in the history of China, which further solidifies and cements his role there. And they have been leading the way in collecting data on people that they never tell them about. I mean, and, and demanding that every tech company that operates in their country, including any insurers and I really believe ultimately this will you know continue to lock out a lot of um, Western insurers from their market because they they require that you hand over so much data on people but it is uh, it is interesting that this inspired y'all and um, really is neat in a regard that it, it establishes a positive relationship between the, the MGA in your case uh, slash carrier. Uh, of course their relationship is with you and the insured right it's less of an afterthought and more of a of a meaningful uh direct relationship so uh there's there's something to be said there for the just the nature of how how you relate to the person actually buying the insurance i would like to go back to a side comment you made that it's a tangent okay so just bear with me it's a tangent but you you said that you wear the aura ring and that it has helped you identify things about yourself You've got it on right now. I have some friends that have purchased and been wearing Oura rings for years. They were early in on the early adoption program. And this this type of device is a key part of um of, you know, parametric insurance at some level where you You're tracking and sharing and storing and then insuring off of data. Can you help me understand what you've actually gleaned out of Aura? Like, what what is it actually telling you that's of value? And how do you think that impacts the future of what you're going to have available to you as an insurer?
2: Yeah, that, well, uh, I think Aura Ring has, uh, in that sense, inspired me of uh, very much of the one, one, one main matter is exactly the patterns and the kind of small uh, doses of info that I get every day, which is the same format, same, same way. And uh, I just, you know, I get it. I look at it, and and something starts to happen behind in my brain, just to kind of connecting dots and and making your own conclusions. I think the the most visible example I brought. I actually discovered that I'm lactose intolerant because of the aura ring. And and why is that? I, you know, something started to bother me, and then I just started to kind of uh, uh, try to find answers. And basically, with some. Patterns. What happened? You know, some sort of body temperature in- increasing, things like that. I literally s- understood that. Okay, I need to t- go and check it out. And then, yeah, uh, eventually it be- became all- clear that yeah, I'm lactose intolerant. So things like that, you can uh, start. And and I wouldn't have discovered it from just probably something else, but it was purely because I started to see some 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 movement, some weird kind of changes in 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 in, in my kind of daily daily data.
0: It's interesting because I'm I'm a hardcore Apple watch guy. And, uh, th- this has been amazing. I, when I turned 40, I started going to a cardiologist to make sure everything was all right, get checked up. And, uh, I rolled in with a boatload of data and he, he literally didn't even know what to do with it. Like, I'm <laughs> like, well, here's my last, uh, 30 EKGs. Here's my last, my heart rate. Here's all my Afib tests I took. <laughs> I'm like, and then here's all the Apple Health connected devices. And so I opened up Apple Health and I showed him like my record with all of my EKGs and all my tests and all my heart. And he's like, Oh, wow, what this? So then he just sits there and he like geeks out on the data for the next ten minutes. You have an incredible amount of data on this. You have, you, you have heart rate and EKG data for the last six months. And you evolve. and I'm like, Yeah, this is like modern modern life you know I've got a ton of data on me that I own and of course I love Apple's perspective on this right is that the individual owns the data Apple has really led the charge on privacy and I it, uh, one of my favorite quotes on data privacy is from Tim Cook, CEO of Apple who said if uh, if a service if an online service is free you're not the customer, you're the product mm-hmm. And of course he was speaking very directly about Google. But they've really drawn a line in the sand about data privacy, data ownership, uh, knowing what data is stored on you, and then using it effectively, right, to actually give you recommendations. I mean, I think uh, it's it's a good hallmark for us for insurance, you know, and what we can do there. So we know where you are now. Rob has a wonderful question about the next step with Cache.
1: Yeah, Hedy, we've talked a little bit about uh, ride sharing, of course. I think that was the maybe the original platform economy or, or certainly one that um, most folks kind of think about when we use that term. But there's obviously a ton of different platforms uh, for all manner of uh, provision of businesses, services, you know, Fiverr, Etsy, you name it, I could go on and on. And so it feels like what you're building at Cache really kind of lends itself to maybe a lot of different product lines. So kind of what products do you offer today and where is your kind of product roadmap uh, headed in the future?
2: So yeah, today then uh, we have the motor insurance for ride hailers. As, as we discussed, uh, we just quite recently now also launched the product called city rider insurance. And uh, this is again, person centric. <laughs> so we, um, we designed the solution basically it's a third-party liability, uh, together with accidents and some elements of health, uh, combined for a city city rider. Someone that has multiple different: uh, is it kick scooter or is it bicycle or are you are you traveling mo- monowheelers or or there is there is a whole whole bunch of different uh, things you can tra- uh, use while being insured. Uh, and obviously this uh, the kind of key target there is also all the all the key key workers that provide career service so so that that's something we piloted just very recently, and we are now looking for ways to do uh, some part of the same this kind of cross cross platform to really make it dynamic as well. And yeah, this this um, this is still what we believe that uh, in 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 the world of insurance, even though we are probably in somewhat uh, swimming against the tide of everybody wanting to do it things via their own platform, that we still believe that if we can bring things together around an individual and, and create really this slight accountability uh, loop, that's where the kind of um, real effect will will come into the loss ratios and, and the overall kind of uh, pricings uh, eventually so.
1: Hedy, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about distribution as well. So, um, how do customers learn about Cache? Are you sold through agent brokers? Are you direct to consumer? Uh, are you an embedded solution in some of these platforms? How are you finding those persons as part of the person-centric uh, business model?
2: So, in the in the markets where we at, uh, we have i would say the, the kind of initial year almost the, the very very big percentage of the customer uh, we we get uh, via our partner platforms like uh, bolt and uber and, and and others so they they promote us uh, in their kind of onboardings, their their, their driver newsletters etc but obviously also we have cracked some sort of um, life of uh, gig worker, uh, forums and, and places how, how they operate. So we are quite active in, in, in different uh, digital social channels and, and, and reaching out to them. And yeah, it's step by step, this is this has been the way we have built a, built a market. And, and somewhat obviously going to B2C is, is a kind of sharper hill to climb, but uh, once you're there, then it's the view is pretty nice. So
0: well largely because of customer acquisition costs i mean if you look at the marketing budgets of the top 5 auto insurers it's it's a staggering amount of money that they spend acquiring customers and i think that's really where uh, where people get really hung up on is on distribution cost right i mean it's uh, it's it's a it's a ton of money to play in that game in particular here in particular here in the united states
2: Yep, uh, agreed. There is some some benefits of uh, of starting off in in that sense in the smaller markets where this is not that 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 hard. But uh, but yeah, so far it has been pretty coming quite nicely. But obviously, we understand when we go into more competitive markets like UK or, or others, then there is a, a bit of a different journey and and, and price tag on, on on winning over the customers. Yeah, so.
0: uh, do you have any desire to compete in the U.S. market?
2: Well, obviously, but uh, first we will conquer Europe and then,
0: then we'll <laughs> there you go. come
2: and see what we can do over there.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Rob? Yeah,
1: Hedy, just keep us posted on kind of where you're going both from a, a product roadmap and a, a geography roadmap. I would be curious as you kind of expand to new geographies, kind of what the reception is and what the learning is. Because as James kind of mentioned, I, I completely agree that I do feel like there's this almost bifurcation, right, where um, in Europe certainly have been leaders in terms of data privacy, you know, the right to be forgotten, GDPR. Uh, We've made some steps here with the California uh, Privacy Act. It's kind of modeled after GDPR that many insurers have to comply with uh, even outside the state. So it's almost a a de facto national standard. But in Asia, certainly we've heard about not just going to the, the credit scoring, but um, you know, all the things that kind of go into this, you know, societal score, risk score, uh, or scoring, I guess, in general, not just for risk, but really for all services and products that you buy that is really kind of closed, people don't see it, they don't know it. Uh, but yet, it's, it's streaming in a whole bunch of data. Um, and I think it's very interesting, right? We talked a little bit about digital health. Uh, the, the Apple Watch, the Oura Ring. And uh, I know a lot of firms in Asia are really leading in that space because they don't necessarily have some of the, the HIPAA protections that we have in the U.S. And, and elsewhere in terms of health and privacy data. So while, you know, clearly there's a, a priority that is, is placed on that, I can tell you as somebody that's been filling out a lot of forms at, at doctor's offices <laughs> throughout the year uh, that not having the data or the ability to, to, to share it or the interchange between doctors can be kind of a, a pain. And so it'll be interesting to see uh, how this all plays out and and the different, I guess, societal and cultural views on this is
0: really fascinating. It's exhausting, Rob. It's exhausting when you know that technology already has the solution to that. And uh, App, you know Apple Health has done it. They've already integrated with Epic, all my epic records sink into Apple Health. and it's exhausting that the solutions already there, and uh, yet there are so many that just refuse to adopt. Uh, but this is not the Med tech podcast, and uh, I will not rail <laughs> on them uh, on them too hard. So a good discussion with Hetty. thank you so much. Uh, that's Hetty Mardisu. Uh, from cache, we do have a couple of news stories. I'll start out with uh, one of my own and that is that there's a you know some some more funding announcements. Uh, this one, this is owl.co, owl. Owl.co pulled down a $30 Series B round, and they're expanding their uh, process from monitoring claims and mitigating fraud to address the $80 billion cost of claim fraud to American consumers. Uh, So they're using machine learning to automate and remove bias from the process, and they're trying to seek a future where nobody pays for fraud. That is a, a bold goal. There is still a lot of insurance fraud out there. There's a lot of people working on the problem uh, they got their Series A round, four and a half million dollars from the Canadian government. eh? don't you know? Sorry, little maple syrup on that. <laughs> and uh, now they've got their next round, so their total funding is now sitting, including all the rounds. Uh, their their total funding is sitting at forty million dollars. So, I'm excited to to uh, to hear what's been going on there. There's a couple of other fundings that, that occurred, of course, about a, a month ago. CoverGo got a a bunch of uh, funding to expand the business to U.S., Canada, and Latin America. They're a no-code platform for insurance firms that helps them uh, uh, streamline their products to manage claims. Uh, they raised a bunch of money. So there's, there's continual funding announcements out there in the insure tech space, and it was uh, exciting seeing that uh, that particular announcement. Claims is, of course, my my main bailiwick and what I've spent uh, most of my day on, so it's always good seeing something happen there. Rob uh, said Since we're talking about auto insurance today, you do have an interesting news story on auto insurance.
1: Yeah, James, you know, I know this is our our weekly news roundup segment, but uh, I do feel like sometimes it's our weekly lemonade (laughs) (laughs) segment. So we talked to our last uh, podcast episode about lemonade finally making the leap into auto insurance after obviously starting on uh renters insurance, moving to home quickly, and then uh pet and life insurance. So this has been a question that's been around for you know two to three years. When would they get in the auto insurance market? So I told you about that announcement last week. Well they made a really big splash this week by announcing that they are acquiring pay-by-mile uh, startup and, and quite successful one, Metromile, uh, at a valuation of $500 million. Uh, so Metromile shareholders are going to get Lemonade Common shares. So both companies uh, have gone public in the past year. Uh, at a ratio of 19 to 1, the deal is expected to close mid-2022. And Daniel Schreiber, who, as you probably all know, is the founder and CEO, or co-founder and CEO, uh, said that most of Lemonade's, approximately 1.4 million customers, are car owners and that by bundling its new car insurance with other business slides, allows the insurer to entice existing customers and new ones alike and called it a hugely symbiotic opportunity. Now, I saw a lot of naysayers on Twitter and elsewhere about this deal. I will admit that I'm not in the weeds enough to tell you whether this is a good or bad acquisition, but I love the splash. I love the idea. It feels like there's a lot of synergy here, so I'm going to go with a mild thumbs up, but I'm definitely open to other opinions. So. James, Hetty, any thoughts?
0: Like the Roman Caesar. Yeah, it's, it's a slight. It's a slight. Thumbs up or thumbs down. <laughs> yeah, it, look, you know, Schreiber's statement is kind of like the no duh statement of the century, right? You, you, you mean that? <laughs> That if we bundle and save, people might buy more. Yeah, of course. Like, like Yeah, I mean, it's it, that one's an obvious one. I mean, if you're in, I almost feel like it's a right to play. If you're in home insurance, you kind of need to be in in car insurance at some level because the of the bundling and discounting that goes on with all the other major players over here. It is interesting who they purchased and certainly how much they paid for them. To show you the strategic value that Lemonade believes this will add, there's always going to be a, a laundry list of uh, naysayers. I've, it's, it's always hard to peg if they're right or not because so many of these companies have defied the conventional odds and a lot of those naysayers are folks who are firmly vested in the current ecosystem of, uh, mainline carriers. And it really freaks them out that to ensure techs are, uh, are now public and worth a lot of money and are legitimately competing in that market, which means they're gonna, it's gonna further, uh, kind of move their, um, move their cheese. So, uh, well, yeah, we'll see. Right. I mean, I, I I agree. I'm going to give it like a thumb sideways. You know, let's uh, let, let's see if they can pull this off. Uh, buying companies is hard. Just being an effective acquirer is really hard. And stitching together technology is actually not easy. And so uh, we'll see how good they are at uh, at uh, biting an elephant one one bite at a time. Right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, the Bloomberg article that I'm citing here notes that it's Lemonade's first takeover. And I like that they put first takeover in the headline, implying that there will be others down the line.
0: Yeah, well, when you have that much cash at your disposal and you can only grow so fast organically, you're going to start acquiring companies instead of uh, just ramping up the lines on your own. Makes sense. Well, thank you. Uh, great conversation. Great news, Rob and uh, Hedy, uh Thank you so much for joining us so late in your day over there in Estonia. We appreciate you uh, being on the InsureTech Geek podcast and thanks for uh, doing what you're doing in InsureTech.
2: Well, absolutely. I'm very happy that I, I had a chance. So thank you so much. It was, it was fun.
0: Yeah. And if people want to find out more information about Cache, it's Cache.me. Is that correct? Cache.me.
2: Yep. That's that's correct.
0: Awesome. And of course, you can reach out to to Hedy Martasu on LinkedIn. She's pretty active on there. So you can go connect with her there and reach out to her and chat with her there. As always, uh, Rob Galbraith, uh, most interesting man in insurance. Uh, got any conferences coming up, Rob? I'm just curious. Do you have any, any any speaking events or big conferences on the on the horizon?
1: So um, I don't have any in person uh, between now and the rest of the year, but um, I actually just did a insuretech insights webinar on Wednesday with a friend of the program, Carrie Anne Nadeau, as well as uh, yeah. Vaughn from uh, High Gear. And so uh, definitely check out their website to find a replay. In fact, I'll also be doing another uh, webinar next month, as I did it kind of at the end of 2020, looking into 2021. Uh, so this one will be with Robin Kira, also an Tech Insights webinar, Ah. looking at what's in our crystal ball for 2022. So definitely check out their website, register for the one that's coming up in December and uh, look for the replay that should be posted soon.
0: Yeah, Rob, as you know, I've been full back at events since like June was my first event that I've been at and I've been trucking it. We pulled together a list of all the InsurTech events uh, in 2022. It's a lot. <laughs> and we're going to be <laughs> at a bunch of them. We have two insurance products. We have Smart Compliance that is Certificate of Insurance Tracking and Collection. And we have our new product, TerraClaim. That's a world class claims platform that we have built over the last two and a half years. We are out on the market selling both of them. We are going to be working and and very, very busy. Uh, in the, uh, in the, in 2022 at, uh, pretty much every insurance conference you can shake a stick at, uh, showing off our products and talking to insurance folks. And, uh, we're very, very excited to be back on the road, back face to face and, uh, hanging out with people. And certainly if you're out there on the road, you can always hit me up on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Insta, wherever you want to connect with me, or you can just text me on the uh, show text line. That's 979-473-9040. 979 473 9040 is our text line if you want to text us any questions, comments, or suggestions. Or if you just want to meet up at a, if you want to meet up at like Dig In or at RIMS or, you know, at uh, Insure Tech Connect next year or whatever you want to do, we can, we, we'd love to uh, connect with you. This has been. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, jbknowledge.com, all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com. With co-host Rob Galbraith, that's endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer. Kara Dalton, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time.